0: So would you just pray with me as, as we go into a time of going into God's word together? Father in heaven, God, you are, you are over all. And God, we believe that you are present here as we go into your word. I just pray, Jesus, that you would awaken us to you, that you would stir our hearts, God that you would draw us near to you, that little miracles would, would happen as we engage with your word and maybe we see things new or fresh um, today, Jesus. We thank you. Um, we ask for you to, to be with us continually, moment by moment. In it's your name I pray. Amen. Our text today is going to be in Matthew 22. We're going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 14. And we'll start into that here in just a moment. But our text today has to do with an invitation. Um, I was invited to something a week and a half ago. It's called CrossFit. Um, I had heard of CrossFit. Uh, I'd heard many things about CrossFit, but I'd never actually done it. So I had a friend of mine who uh, invited my wife and I to go and experience what CrossFit was like. Now, as an organization, they are set up well to continue the invite. If you've been invited into something, you come once, you're like, okay, that's cool. Uh, Sometimes it doesn't stick with you. You need that extra encouragement, especially if you do a workout that just absolutely kills you. It helps if someone gives you a little bit more of an urging. So it wasn't just like a one-time invitation. There were more invites that were to come and they, and they, they, they got this kind of sneaky way about doing it. So after I had gone, um, one of the instructors had reached out through my friend and said, hey, if they come again, they get a free week the next week. It's like, okay, okay, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. And it worked, I did come the next week. So I was further invited. And if you continue into something like CrossFit or maybe uh, some other activity like that, you become part of the culture. You begin to, in this case, maybe you become fit and you begin to feel more energy than you have before. And so as you experience that and you become part of the culture, you take the invitation that was given to you and then you go out and start inviting other people in. Hey, have you heard about CrossFit? Man, really changed my life as far as my energy and my exercise and that type of thing. I'm not sure if I'm there yet, but theoretically, if I become part of the culture, what happens is I begin to invite more people. But it's not just with gyms, right? Uh, another example of this is my, my daughter started flute lessons um, she's never played flute before. She's invited in. She begins playing the flute and uh, begins to experience what it's like to learn an instrument and in the joy of music. And so she doesn't just stop at one lesson. She goes to the next lesson. She begins to grow in becoming a flutist. It becomes something that uh, then you begin to invite people to. right? You invite them to your performances. The invitation is out there. Humanity has been given an even greater invitation, the greatest invitation, the most extravagant invitation given by God to be in relationship with him, given by God for forgiveness of our sins, given by God so the, the debt and judgment towards us would be wiped out. We no longer have to live in shame, in death, or in sin. Our record can be wiped clean all other endeavors of life anything else that we could be invited to is pale in comparison to the invitation of jesus and we're called to receive the invitation but when we really get it when we understand what god has invited us into then we carry that invitation and we're looking at those two aspects in this passage that we're reading today how we can receive the invitation and how we can carry the invitation. Now, for over a year, we've been walking through the the book of Matthew. Matthew is a gospel. If you're not familiar with that language, there are four books of the Bible that are called gospels. They record what Jesus did while he was here on this earth, his life, his ministry, and, and what he did on the cross and how he raised up from the dead, and each of the gospels give a different perspective. Matthew gives a perspective that highlights Jesus as the true king, the ultimate authority, the Messiah, the anointed one. And we are nearing the end, and it's, it's days away from G- when Jesus would be hung on the cross. And he's coming into conflict with the religious leaders of today. So when you look at Matthew 21, 22, 23, he's focused a lot on those conversations with these religious leaders. So let's jump into this. He's sh- in chapter 22, he is sharing... A parable, which is a story with with a big point behind it that he is making. And as a master storyteller, Jesus is not only speaking to the religious leaders, but there's also instruction in there for the disciples, the ones who are following him. There's also instruction for the crowds who are curious about him, who have seen him do a lot of different things, but are maybe not necessarily following him. So Matthew chapter 22, 1 through 7. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So if we look at this story, this is like Act 1. If you've ever read a Shakespeare play or watched a play at a high school, there's usually acts that highlight different uh, aspects of the story. So this is like Act 1, and it's about receiving the invitation. The highlight of this first portion is this feast, this wedding feast that is happening. And when we think about a wedding feast, if you've ever been into a wedding recently, and I've officiated a couple, what happens is you've got about 30 minutes to an hour to do the ceremony. And then once the ceremony's done, there's a reception. This would be uh, our version of the wedding feast. And the reception will last anywhere from two to seven hours, depending on how much people want to party, dance, or do something else. But everything gets wrapped up basically in a day. And it's usually happening on a weekend, so that as many people as possible can kind of come in, be there for the event, and then go back to their normal lives. The people who were listening to this story in Jesus' time would have heard something very different because weddings at that time were not these one-day events. They typically lasted for seven days. Seven days of celebrating the couple, seven days of feasting. And not only was this like uh, uh, a... Normal wedding feast. This is a feast that's being given by the king for his son. This isn't like your friend in an Israelite village who is having his wedding gathering. This is like a big deal. This would interrupt your life for seven days. And the king is saying, it's worth it. The the language that's being used here about this wedding feast, if you look at verse 4, because he sends out an invite and, and, and people are responding saying that they would not come, he sends another invite out and he says, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. I mean, the description here is opulence. This is an amazing feast that's about to put here. I mean, it, it would, I don't know, for Alaska, it'd probably be something instead of like calves, it would be like fresh moose or caribou or something like that. But even more so, like I was looking at, 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 at our weddings, the average cost of a wedding uh, in America is $33,000 um, for, for a wedding ceremony. This would far exceed it. Because of the amount of days, because of all the preparation, it, I'm sure it would have been worth so much more if you matched it in today's dollars. So, why, why would Jesus set this scene? Why is he describing the richness of it? The point of describing the extravagance of this king's wedding for his son is to show how ridiculous, even foolish it would be to refuse an invitation. To get an invitation to this kind of a wedding ceremony and then say, eh, I don't really have time for it. Is, it's like, what? who would do that? Who would do it? So we're given what this story is about. Jesus says it in verse 2, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to this. And so that's kind of like the answer key that helps us understand what's going on in this story. There's a king, there's an authority, it's, it's God. There's his son, we know that's Jesus. Jesus already in the Gospel of Matthew has been referring to himself as the, as the son of man and the various characters who are playing roles, the servants, the people being invited uh, represent various aspects of humanity, And so this wedding feast is describing the kingdom of heaven. If you've wondered what that like, it's it's the the kingdom of heaven is where God is in his goodness, in his purity. And when we look at the beginning in Genesis, God and man were unified. They were together. But when sin entered in and humanity through Adam and Eve said, we no longer want to follow you, that separated, that broke it apart, and humanity was no longer in the kingdom of heaven. And that's shown by how Adam and Eve could no longer be in the garden with God. And the beauty of human history is it paints this picture of God pursuing a broken humanity that rejected him. And he's giving this invitation to come back to be in relationship with him. And and the people who had front row seat to that story going on was the people of Israel. God's people set apart to be this display to the rest of the world of who God is and what he was coming to do. It's like being at like an NBA game or something popular like that and being right there where you can actually see the expressions of people's face. Like the the people of Israel were given God's word. They were able to see God at work among them. But like the people who rejected that invitation, time and time again, corrupt leaders would come in charge of Israel and lead the people away and the majority of Israel would slide away from God. And God would send messengers in in the form of the prophets to say, Hey, turn back to God. Go go back to him. Stop running away from him. And and they would often be rejected at best or killed. And if you look at the, as we continue in the story, you look at the people who are refusing the invitation that that represent Israel. There's two types of refusals that happened. One is... A refusal because it's inconvenient it's like I got, I got my farm I got my business I don't have time for these things and these things are just temporary they're things that will eventually end and, and they center around individual success and value And when the things uh, in our world become so necessary in our lives, then the the value and the authority that comes from God becomes an inconvenience to us, this thing that we think just shouldn't be in our life. But it goes beyond that. There's not only a rejection because of inconvenience, there's a rejection of the invitation because Jesus is a threat. And this is where Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of the day. They saw Jesus as coming against their authority. They wanted to maintain their authority over other people, and they didn't want Jesus to break into their life. It was more than an inconvenience. It was a threat. And so we see, as the religious leaders engage with Jesus during this time, that they first tried to denounce Jesus, tried to get him to trip over his words, but ultimately it's going to lead them to put Jesus on the cross to kill him. And what we see in the end of this first act is that the very thing that the religious leaders were trying to do to Jesus, to destroy him, one, it would fail because he would rise again, but secondly, the thing they were holding on to would be destroyed. they had wrapped their life and their authority around the, the temple, and because of the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make, the temple would no longer be a building, it would be a people. And we know in 70 AD, after Jesus, later after Jesus rose from the dead, that that Rome would come in, they would destroy the temple. And it's this very visual, very vivid visual of how we can hold on to things that we think are so important, that we think matter most in life, and then they crumble away. And the, and the message is clear. It's like if you worship the structure but, but miss the creator, you've missed everything. And God will even let us experience the destruction of the things we've put above him, like little sandcastles that we think are so important. And then a wave comes and wipes it all out. And so when we come to the end of this first part of the story, there's, there's this message of like, receive the invitation of God. The God is reaching out to us. He's reaching out through his word. He's reaching out even through, as we read in the Psalms, his His creation is constantly describing who he is and speaking to our hearts. And he's inviting us in an invitation of, of faith. That if we're, we're apart from God, God's saying, I want to be with you. And that will happen by putting faith in the finished work of Jesus and what he came to do. That, that your sins can be forgiven. That there doesn't have to be a distance between you and God. That invitation is out there. but But it's more than just the invitation with faith, just like the, the example of a CrossFit gym. It doesn't stop at just this one-time invitation, but there's this continual invitation to grow within God. And as we walk in, in our Christian faith, I, I feel like daily God is inviting us to draw near to him. Daily he's, he's wanting us to experience him and know him and it's so easy for us, just like the examples we read in this story where we let our, our the business of life make God an inconvenience. And... Sometimes I think that leads us to this place of dryness. It leads us to this place where we're wondering, man, why is God distanced? Well, sometimes it's because we've stopped in our following of him as he continues on down the pathway, and we're wondering, man, God, why are you so distanced? He's like, come, keep following me, keep pursuing me. And the way that, we, that helps us continue to follow God is we remember the extravagance of his invitation. That wedding feast that's being described is looking to the end. When one day, when Jesus returns, we will be gathered with him. Much like in the garden with Adam and Eve where there is no longer any type of barrier between us and God. And if we lose sight of the future of what God promises us, it's so easy to get distracted by the things of this world that make God an inconvenience to us. So then we look at Act 2 of the story. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests." So act two is centered around this invitation being carried to the main roads. The servants now of the king are being sent out, and it's not to the people you would think. It's not to the people who, um, as we described earlier, like the people of Israel who had God's word, who had all these things. They're going out and beyond. It's, It's really looking at and anticipating this moment when after Jesus was raised from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, the church went out. And they went to the places that you might not have think, like, oh, that these types of people would believe in God. And yet, the very people that they would go to, um, like Jesus did, whether it's tax collectors or prostitutes or people who have come really to the end of themselves, who've realized, man, I'm Nothing, and I need someone to come and rescue me. When that invitation comes, then it's easily received. When you realize, man, I don't have what it takes. I need a savior. And, and, And I think this scene is so beautiful because these messengers go out. They go into the crossroads. They're gathering people up, and they bring them back to the point where it says, um, in verse 10, it says, And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Growing up in the, in, in a church environment, it can be really easy as a church uh, to kind of sit and wait for people to come into your church. Um, in fact, when... Uh, I began doing more preaching and what I'm doing. I asked someone about the history of churches in Fairbanks, and there's this thing called a church shuffle that was going on. So this idea that, like, when one church gets really popular and has a really dynamic, uh, like, leader or preacher or has really good programs or something, like, all the Christians kind of shuffle there. All I'm exaggerating, but a lot shuffle over there. And then something happens, and that church isn't doing so well. So then you shift over to other church. And it kind of continues around and around. And as I was reading this, I was like, man, but what's so beautiful about this story that that Jesus is really anticipating with how the church would react is that we're not meant to just kind of cycle around from church to church. We're meant to go out. We're meant to go out to the roadways. We're meant to go out to um, different places in our cities and our towns to find uh, the poor and the powerless and to invite them in. I would encourage you, if you want something practical to do, open up whatever map app that you use, whether that's Google, Apple, or something else. (laughs) Type in Fairbanks, Alaska, zoom out. Just look at it, start just praying over the communities. Start praying over Fairbanks, or Fort Wainwright, or praying over Alston Air Force Base, maybe Salcha, Fox. And just looking at the different places, even zoom in on some of the roads. Some of the crossroads of our city and our town, begin praying over them, and consider where God has put you at crossroads. Maybe it's your school, or maybe it's a CrossFit gym, or maybe it's your household, or other places where you can share in that invitation of Jesus. And one of the, one of the things I would ask you to pray for is that radiant would be filled like this wedding hall is filled. That when we gather together as a church, the reason it's a miracle when we're here is because we center our lives on Jesus. And it's because as Christians, we should understand the hope and the promise of Jesus so well that gathering together is like a mini feast, anticipating the great feast that Jesus is going to invite us into. When we understand the goodness of the invitation we have received, then, it's, then we, it's easier to go out to those crossroads. When we don't understand the invitation that we have received, that's, that's when churches, it's so easy for us to fall into discouragement and bitterness and griping because we've lost sight of who we are as a people. And so what we want to make sure of as followers of Jesus is that we get the gospel, we get the invitation we have received, and that's what's driving us. The final act of this story is Acts 3. So let's start that in verse 11. But when the king came to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? and he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. One thing I would encourage is when you're reading through the Bible, it's important to read all of it. It's so easy sometimes that we can focus on a verse or two and miss some other things, and we read this whole story. It seems to end on this just really kind of a downer. And what we see happening at this last part of the story is there is someone who's basically like an imposter. Someone who's received the invitation, came to the entrance, but could, couldn't enter into the wedding feast. If you flip over to Matthew 13, we actually, Jesus shared a, a different story that describes this very same scenario. Matthew 13 um, starting in verse twenty-eight, this is kind of in the middle of another story, and it says, He said to them, and enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root out you root up the wheat along with them. In that story, Jesus is describing a field where there's wheat, but then there's weeds that have grown up. They're called tares. They look exactly like wheat does. And so it's really hard to understand, well, who's really wheat and who's really tares? This is actually why sometimes people get frustrated when they come into church and and they see like different things happening within it that don't seem to match up with what God has put in his word. It's because when you invite a lot of people into a church, some of those are going to be followers of Jesus who got the invitation, who've put their faith in him, and there are going to be others who can walk the walk But their heart isn't aligned with Jesus. And what's interesting in this story is the the king goes up to this guy who doesn't have a wedding garment. And he gives us this interesting response. It's out of kindness that we see him say, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the intent behind this is that there's this invitation for the person basically to cry out and say, I don't have one. I need a wedding garment. But instead, there's no response. And so he's banished to the outside. He has not been covered, but depended on his own merit to enter the wedding celebration. And then we see this this judgment that's been given. And what all does this mean? When we look at this, it helps us understand a little bit more about something that can maybe even be said that, that, that is a partial truth, but not the whole truth. It's an invitation that can happen to God or to church where it's like, hey, come as you are. And there's some truth to that, beautiful truth. Like, if you're broken and messed up like I've been, like, there's some grace about coming in and saying, like, I'm I messed up. But what God wants to do with you is take you from being a messed up, sinner and give you grace and give you forgiveness and bring you from being broken to making you new to making you whole to following him he doesn't want you to stay in that place of brokenness he wants you to move to a place of faith in him so to come as you are but not stay as you are to come as you are and be redeemed by him And the problem is, is if it would be uh, something similar to use the CrossFit analogy, is if someone came into the gym and was like, hey, I think this is great. I'm going to go sit over here and sit on the sidelines and watch the workout that's going on, and then I'm going to leave and assume that I'm going to get really fit by just doing that. No. And so when Jesus says at the end, many are called but few are choos- chosen is that the invitation goes out, but it's easy when we receive the invitation of God where he says, hey, I wanna make you new, I wanna change your life, that we can be just like the people who rejected him of like, nah, that's, that's an inconvenience. Nah, that's threatening my authority over life. I don't really want that. And, and, and Jesus is describing this reality as like, yeah, there's, there's gonna be a consequence. And so if you're wondering like, man, why is it using this like harsh language of like bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness, into a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's describing this reality that happens that if you're separated from a good God who's created everything, who is life, who created life, like the opposite of that is going to be horrible, like it necessarily will be. Why? Why? Because it would be similar to like if you're underwater with an oxygen mask in a tank and you decide, you know what, I don't really need this 60 feet below the ocean. I'm just going to cut the line and assume that I'll be all right and everything's going to be fine. No, it's not going to be fine. And that's why Jesus extends this invitation. It's why uh, when we think of the invitation of this story, Jesus embodies that invitation. Jesus is God come among men so that we could be rescued out of a, a terrible place of being separated from God forever. And so this man, when we read about those wedding clothes, what it's talking about is that he has to be covered by something that's greater than he is. That we can't just manufacture salvation. We can't just make things right with God, like no matter how, if you're like me, you know how broken and messed up you are, and you realize no effort of your own can make you right with God. But thank God for Jesus. Romans 4, um, 5 through 8, describes um, this beautiful miracle of what Jesus accomplished for us. Romans 4, starting in verse 5, says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he stepped in our place. The death we deserve, he took for us. And when he rose up from the dead, he uh, opened up the way for us to experience life and have a right relationship with God. And so the cry of this story, the cry to us is don't reject the greatest invitation that has been given to us. Accept that invitation and then take that invitation out to others. Accept his invitation and go into the main roads. Uh, every week when we finish our sermons, we close with communion. And communion is meant to be this, this sacred moment between us and God, this, this moment where for us who've put our faith in Jesus, it's a symbol of us accepting the grace that God has given us on the cross. We've got these uh, plates that have crackers and cups with juice. There's two up here and there's one in the back. When, when we take communion, the reason we do is we break the bread to remind us that Jesus' body was, was broken when he went onto the cross. When we dip it into the juice, we remember that his blood was shed on our behalf, that he took the punishment that was meant for us. It's like we get to have this mini feast together when we take communion. It's what drives us. This is the center of all that we do. And so um, I'm gonna invite Sammy and Baron to come up here. We're gonna uh, have just a little bit moment of instrumental and, and then start into the first song. And as we do this, and I want to invite you just to take a moment with the truths that you've heard uh, in this passage of scripture and, and to bring it in prayer before God. Um, I've written up a couple of prayer prompts because sometimes it's hard um, when, when we're sitting or maybe if, if you have a hard time with prayer, this will help you form a prayer The first one is this, God, I have allowed, and it's a fill in the blank, to occupy my thoughts and distract me from your invitation to draw near. Help me this week to walk in your invitation, to grow in you, and invest in my relationship with you. This is an invitation just to pour out your heart before God. He knows you. He knows what's going on in your life. And he wants to draw near to you. And then the second one is, Father, help me carry your invitation to and then a fill-in-the-blank this week. Who has God put on your heart that needs to hear of his invitation, of his good news, that you no longer have to sit in uh, darkness but can receive his light? And it finishes up with, Help me to know who to invite to my church family, whether through my home or my gospel community, that's our small groups, or our Sunday gathering. Help me know who to share your good news with this week. So I'm going to finish up in prayer, and during this first song, I encourage you just take a moment with the Father, cry out to him, pray. um, And when you're ready, take communion during the first song um, as you're led. um, And then we'll continue with our singing. Father in heaven, Jesus, we thank you that you are a master storyteller. We thank you, Jesus, that you you don't hold back from extravagant truths um, that sometimes are hard. But Father, what I pray is that we uh, just don't miss out on the invitation to draw near to you, and God. That we would not miss out on those moments where we can extend that invitation out to others. I just pray, stir our hearts for other people who have not heard of you, Jesus. God, I just pray that, that, that what we read in your scripture would just propel us into the week. Uh, that even right now, as we pray together, as we take communion together, that there would just be this moment where we can release the burdens we've maybe accumulated during the week and lay it before you, knowing that with you there is forgiveness. With you, there is grace. With you, there is mercy. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.